Welcome back, everyone, to Memphis Hardwood, Dog Days of Summer Style. We are absolutely in the armpit of summer here in the offseason for the NBA. Also, it has been the hottest summer ever in the city of Memphis. Um, it's been brutality fest. And not just yes. because we aren't able to watch our bears of summer, um, but also because it's just been bloody hot out there. So we're going to talk about that. How are we coping with the offseason? Who's going to start at the four? Who do we think the opening night lineup's going to be? How are we going to play this year? But before we get to anything, let's get Marvin Stockwell in the mix. Marvin, how you doing? I'm doing great. But yeah, I know you're right. It's hot. It is hot. We got a little brief break. It rained, but now it's, it's just that the furnace turned back up. Yeah. Well, for listeners who don't know, I live out in Colorado and it's been hot here too. Um, I mean, today it's going to go probably to the mid nineties and folks don't have air conditioning. A lot of folks don't have air conditioning out here. So wow. I got a little window unit running, but um, it's been hotter than normal. The world is getting hotter. We're adapting to it and uh, hopefully we'll get But it's it. not Memphis hot out there. Good don't, don't forget your roots out there in Ab- Colorado. Absolutely not. And the main difference <laughs> when you sweat, it evaporates, which cools you off. And that's yeah. the difference in Memphis. When you sweat, you just soak <laughs> yep. that, your body. Yep. You need to evaporate sweat to be able to cool down. But anyway, you didn't come here to hear us talk about the weather or science of sweat. That's so true. we're going to talk a little bit of Grizzlies um, just for regular listeners of the show. We've been doing this oral history uh, and we are now at the uh, at the beginning of the core four era. We have not forgotten about continuing that series. And in fact, we have been hard at work behind the scenes lining up uh, folks to talk about this uh, incredible era for you. Um, and we've got some very, very special guests who are going to come on the show, y'all. Um, we're going to start off with that 2010-2011 regular season uh, that culminated with the uh, Spurs, the victory against the Spurs in the playoffs in 2011. It was an incredible run, and we incredible. again have some incredible commentators who are going to be on the show. Uh, we are going to save any more announcements about that until we can get some things uh, locked in and nailed down, which I believe will happen this week. So stay patient, y'all. We've still got about six weeks before training camp opens. So within that time period, we will have the Grizzlies oral history completed. So stay tuned for that. But Marv, even though we've been doing all this work, getting ready for the oral history, we're also in the dog days of the offseason. Yeah. There's yeah. not a lot of basketball going on. I saw some no. crazy weird game. It was like, it was like, I don't even know. I was at a bar and it was, um, it, it looked like older guys and it was like the fire versus the fury or something. I was like, what even is this league? Like, that's where we are right now. There's, there's baseball games going on. Uh, I think the WNBA is still rolling. I have not yet made that pivot to be engaged with the WNBA. Maybe I can do that in subsequent years. But Marv, we've had to uh, figure out some different things to do with our time. It's been tough. Let me just say that. And I've got all making manner of projects to do, but but there's a specific, you know, basketball uh, gear folder in my, in my brain and heart that really can only be filled with basketball. And as there's, you, you can't quite uh, scratch that itch any other way. And so, you know, it's kind of like, you say there's some favorite band of yours and you know every one of their albums by heart. And then all of a sudden there's some crazy bootleg out there and it's got some missing <laughs> couple of tracks that, that never got released. Well, you know, you're going to doggedly pursue that album because you're a huge fan of the band. And that's what we're doing. We're grasping at straws. We're like combing the hinterlands of, <laughs> of, of YouTube looking for any at all. And, oh, and we're also recycling 
last year's glory, you know, like every time something oh, yeah. cycles by, it's like, here's a comparison of, of, uh, of, uh, you know, dishes to Desmond Bain of a particular type. And I'm like, Oh, by all means, let me watch the five minutes of that. <laughs> That's incredible. And of course the John Morant dunk, you know, compilation from last year, you know, and it's like, Oh yeah. You watch that and you're just like, you're, you know, it's, it's like, you're just huffing the fumes of last year's glory no doubt. to try to just get a fix. <laughs> Oh, dude. It's summer well, league spelled us for a second, but you know, well, for sure. Definitely. It helped. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was like kind of on top of the world. I want to talk about why this is a special period in Grizzlies history and why this off season feels, I think, particularly difficult because we're in this phase, right? I'd say maybe a six year window. That's what Harrington was writing this past week where we could legitimately win a championship in any of those years. Yeah. And I think that that's, what's difficult for me right now is I'm like, this is a part of my life that I will not ever probably be able to relive in quite the same way again. We're in mm-hmm. the middle of that right now, right? Because we've got John ja Morant, we've got Desmond Bain, we've got Jaron Jackson Jr., we've got Dylan Brooks, we've got this core of guys, and they're all still in their earlier mid-20s. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're so eager, right, to kind of see this go forward. And yet, at the same time, you want to advance into the season, you also realize it's not always going to be like this. I mean, Memphis has been competitive for the most part, really, since 2011. We had a couple of really bad seasons uh, that Mm. were tucked in there as well, right? The um, 16-17 season, the 17-18 season, those were really rough. So uh, it's this kind of weird tension between wanting to enjoy this and be in the moment and realize this is so special. The anticipation that we feel right now about the season, it comes because we have expectations about that season. We know we're going to be good. We may be so good. We've got the puncher's chance at winning a championship. And then also you realize, oh, it's fleeting. It's not always going to be like this. And so I feel like in this moment in my life right now for these next five, six years, man, we really need to be conscious of that joy. Uh, of that of that realness that we're experiencing right yeah it, it's ephemeral you know it's 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 fleeting and exactly. it's not guaranteed and that's that's what's uh exciting about it that's what kind of can be infuriating when it doesn't fall to you i mean imagine you know being a celtics fan and realizing how close you were etc and like the the, the quote-unquote puncher's chance doesn't last forever uh i would argue that even those those quote-unquote bad seasons um were you know transition seasons and like even the the, sure. the the John Morant's rookie season, uh, it just uh, it, we, which we knew we were in a rebuild phase. We could kind of see the, the first glimpses of the future. So that was its oh, own yeah. joy, right? Absolutely. So, but yeah, it's just like you want to make the most of it. Uh, and part of it is just I, I think what Memphians are living through right now, basketball fans all over the world, because Grizzlies there are Grizzlies fans all over the world, literally is that there, uh, but especially here in Memphis, is we realize this next season is going to be exciting, that we're going to have a chance yeah. to go all the way. Uh, and it's just, it makes it that much harder to suffer through these months uh, without basketball. Exactly. And it's like, I, I was reading, there was some basketball story around the Summer League, and uh, to show you how bad it is, I was reading the comments on the, on, on the summer league <laughs> stories, right. In the daily Memphian. But really my point is there was some, there was some guy in the, uh, in the, in the comments that's like, it's like, Hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you do some reporting on golf and, and, and these other sports? I mean, it's, it's their off, it's basketball's off season. Why don't you, why don't you do your jobs and be good journalists and go cover some other sports for gosh darn sake. God. And, you know, and like, 
I mean, it's like everybody else on the thread was just kind of like, I roll, like, get this guy out of here. Absolutely. It's like, like, you know, I mean, it's fine. All those other sports, I I guess, fine and stuff. Yeah, uh, but it's like, not basketball and it's yeah, not Grizzlies basketball with John Morant. That. No, of course I mean, not. You know, and I just I got to give a shout out to that. I think you saw this. The Steven Adams stats Twitter account posted yesterday. Um, there are only two other players that have recorded more assists from the elbow in a season in the last eight years than Steven Adams. That was yeah. Nikola Jokic and Mark Gasol. And I they saw went, that. Yeah. They went back and watched every elbow assist by Mark in 2017, 2018. And the similar role that Adams played is similar. And we've talked, we've talked about that on the show. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about how, you know, uh, Steven Adams kind of plays the hub in this offensive passing game. Right. But that's what the yeah. off season is good for. Right. Like let's pull together videos like yeah. that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, while you're on the subject, uh, it's interesting because Gasol, I remember him, you know, people would make mention of Gasol being a pass first setter. Yeah. Uh, and it seemed like a novel idea, like oh, something just got invented here or maybe not yeah. invented, but it's like, it was a fairly newish thing. And now like just a few years later, I mean, I would argue that Steven Adams is still doing a unique set of things in a way that no one else is doing in the NBA. 100%. But, but it's not unheard of right now. It's being like, Oh, I, I see the system they're employing there. Well, he is good at these things. And I just think that's just another indication of how uh, the game has changed. Absolutely. You know, that, 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 that a center needs to be also, or you're better off if they're a good passer. Yeah. Uh, I think the challenge if anything with, with Steven Adams will be to maybe pepper back in a little bit more of his own scoring. You know, well, there, yeah. there've been some rumors that they're having him shoot three point shots, et cetera. Oh, just I saw so they it. add that to his bag of tricks. Yeah. I saw yeah. it. I mean, I saw it on, um, on Instagram or Twitter, yeah. one of those, some, they, I mean, he hit like 10 threes in a row. Um, yeah. so, I mean, you have to remember Steven Adams averaged double digits in points from 2016, 17 through 2019, 2020 in OKC. Mm-hmm. I mean, he can score. I mean, he was averaging 14 points a game in 17, 18, 18, 19, um, yeah. So he can score the ball, but remember trading Jonas Valanciunas, what was part of the rationale for that? It was opening up more shot opportunities for other guys on the offense. And mm-hmm. Desmond Bain absolutely benefited from that right away. Um, mm-hmm. So, and Dylan Brooks, right? I mean, so I think he is continuing to play a unique role as a big man who can facilitate and pass the ball. Um, if you remember back in the day when Marcus Saul was doing that for the Grizzlies, we often looked at uh, Joachim Noah former Grizzly mm-hmm. great, mm-hmm. right? Uh, who would play a similar role. And there was this question about, well, who's the best passing big man in the league? Is it Marcus or uh, Joachim Noah? Mm-hmm. Um, and now you have a phenom in Nikola Jokic who does everything. So let's be clear. He's not just good at passing, but he is very good at passing. Yeah. Right? But he, buzz, he does a bunch of different things. But no, I agree with you. I mean, what's interesting when you look at Steve-O's record, his scoring has gone down, but his rebounds, have gone up and his assists have gone up. That's yeah. been the difference for him, right, as a player now. So he averaged seven points for the Grizzlies yet last year, but he averaged 10 rebounds and four and 3.4 assists. That's an mm-hmm. excellent stat line. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, the bigger point that we're talking about is the ways in which people occupy themselves in the offseason. Um, there's also a really great tweet from Grizz Stats, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s top 20 blocks from the playoffs. He had more blocks in the playoffs, I think, than any other player. Maybe at the end, Robert Williams passed him from Boston. 
But at any rate, go check that out too, because we got to relive those, those glory days. Yeah. Just the fact that you would have 20 blocks that he would have played in enough games to amass 20 blocks at all. Yeah. A lot of teams would love to have that as an opportunity, oh my but they, gosh, but yeah. they said his 20 best blocks of yeah. the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Kind of ridiculous, isn't it? it? Yeah, it is ridiculous. It's an embarrassment of basketball riches from a fan perspective. Yeah. And really, I mean, just you know? on Jaron real fast. I mean, I mean, there was uh fast big breakfast was, you know, these guys were tweeting out um, earlier that he, he had scored in terms of his three point percentage. He had like the worst three point percentage of like 86 players who took like six or more threes over the past like season and a half, Mm -hmm. but he only played 11 games right in one of those seasons. And he was really struggling and he really struggled to start the year as well. And I just think Mm -hmm. y'all, I understand putting that, you know, whatever, put that stuff out there. Fine. It's interesting stats. I would not trade Jaron Jackson jr's game for anybody else in the league that I can think of from his position. Um, He's still getting better. Uh, Chris Harrington talked about in his columns this week that when his offense catches up with his defense, he's going to be unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, golly, his defense, I mean, coming into the league, right. He kind of profiled as a good defensive player who could potentially be elite, but boy, he could shoot the ball. Um, and his defense has quickly matured to an NBA level. The fouling rates came down. We talked about a lot of this yep. and he's scoring better inside the paint. He's doing better with those those back downs using his size. He's figuring out what he can really do with that amazing body that he has. And dude, the three point stroke, he's been good as Harrington pointed out at Michigan state. He was good in his first three seasons with the Grizzlies. Um, and he just, it just sort of took a step back last year. So, but I wouldn't trade Jaron for any of that. Again, we're all digging into various things. We're coping with the Mm -hmm. off season. We're trying to figure out, uh, you know, what we can do to kind of get through this time. Uh, so that we could get back to Grizzlies basketball. Marv, I know you, you've you got yeah. three kids, so you don't probably have a lot of time for TV, but is there anything you've been watching to take the space of uh, basketball? Oh, I have relied on my social media feed to curate uh, the this, this, this same clips, compendiums that, that are entertaining you. Uh, and sometimes I'll just ab- absolutely go hunting for them on YouTube, you know, natural style. Uh, and, and, you know, exploring some like, you know, I mean, YouTube serves up so much like, oh, man, you know, the 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 Michael Jordan Kobe battle of, of 94 or whatever it was. You notice yeah. <laughs> you go back and you watch that. I've even watched a couple of really deep historical pieces. I'm going to forget the content creator who made this. But there was this really interesting probably. Oh, 25 minute featurette on how the game changed. And it started in the fifties. So they started with this black and white footage oh, wow. uh, and it's more than just, okay, three point line, no three point line. Uh, of course, that's the kind of big major thing, sure, but even sure. once the three point line was implemented, how often was it used yeah. uh, and, and how it came to, and I just like there, there have been, it's an oversimplification to just think that the three point line was the only thing that ever changed basketball. Like one of the things that they stated was like how common the hook shot was in early basketball and that shooting percentages were abysmally low, but it didn't matter. Like it wasn't anyway. So I just found I've been gone back and watched some of those kind of like deep who to thunk it kind of like, you know, weird weirdo basketball features to kind of just, round out my kind of like contextual understanding of the game. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, it's interesting. Cause I mean, obviously there was a time when there was no shot clock. So, you know, we often yeah. hear stats from the shot clock era that, that obviously shifted basketball quite a bit. Um, 
I mean, there's been a number of, uh, of things. I always think about the, the three second rule, <laughs> the Shaquille O'Neal rule, right? Like that didn't get changed until the nineties. You can't stand in the lane the whole time and wait for somebody to pass you the ball. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been a variety of ways that the game has changed over time. Um, but I have to acknowledge before we move on, sort of thinking about, you know, history of the game, you know, Bill Russell died this week, Yeah, um, yeah. 88 years old, 13 seasons with the Boston Celtics, won championships with 11 of them. He wow. won his last two, um, I believe in 68 and 69 as a player coach. <laughs> so he was coaching the team and he was playing as their best player. That's um, crazy. <laughs> obviously faced, you know, an intense amount of criticism um, from a very white, Lily white Boston public. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the show winning time, if y'all haven't seen this on HBO is fantastic. Totally recommend this. Um, looking at Jerry bus and Jerry West, um, you know, and the showtime Lakers, magic Johnson, Kareem, um, uh-huh. and they, and they play Boston, right. For the championship in magic's first year. And so you get to see a little bit of that hostility that they manufacture and toss around in Boston. <clears throat> But, you know, for folks, you know, for folks who don't know, I'm a I'm trained as a historian of the civil rights movement. And so I've been reading a lot of takes this week about Bill Russell and and race and civil rights and all these kind of things that Mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. that are going on, you know, with. um, And it's interesting because I don't know that people who write well about basketball write all that well about race. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I mean, why would they write? But. There was a really good piece I want to recommend from a University of Memphis professor, actually, Aram Goudsouzian on the conversation, and he talked about Bill, Ru- Bill Russell's legacy. Um, and I'll probably post it in, the, um, in the, uh, the show notes for this podcast, because he talks a little bit more specifically about the role that Bill Russell played. He started in the league in the mid-50s, and he wrapped up at the end of the 1970s, or excuse me, the end of the 1960s. That's basically the modern civil rights movement, you know? The Montgomery yeah. bus boycott and Brown v. Board, that's 54, 55. And then Dr. King's assassination in Memphis is 68. So basically, Bill Russell's playing in the NBA during the peak moments of the civil rights era. So mm-hmm. Aram really helps us to understand what was so important about him and why he was such an important figure and the, and the racism that he faced in Boston. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we have to pour one out for Bill Russell. I mean, he was obviously an incredible player. No one has matched that 11 championships, Marv, mm-hmm. um, but also a civil rights icon and someone who stood up uh, and spoke out, right, despite playing in a town that was openly hostile to him. And there's plenty yeah. of reporting about all the, the, the oh, shit yeah. that, that he faced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thank you, Bill Russell, for your contributions to the game and making it possible for us to uh, be talking about this today. Absolutely. Um, Marv, one, one more thing before we talk about how we're coping with the offseason and all the things we're reading. Uh, I've been watching a show I want to recommend to listeners. Um, it's called uh, Pennyworth, and it's about Alfred Pennyworth, who is the butler for Batman. So if you all have watched the Batman movies, right? Alfred, who's always there, like hanging out around Batman. Yeah. It's about his backstory. So there's two seasons uh, and it's all based in England and it is so entertaining. It is so good. It really huh. is shot in a way like a comic book. So like the humor, the way that the uh, cinematography is laid out, it makes you feel like you're watching a comic book and it is huh. so, so entertaining. Um, we actually were inspired my wife and I to go watch the Batman, which we didn't see when it came out. I know it's been out for a minute uh-huh. and it's such a contrast. The Batman is like so serious and so dark and Pennyworth is it's, it's bright. It's funny. There's like, there are mm. laugh out loud moments in every episode, Marv. So huh. just wanted to recommend that to readers. It's I'll on HBO it max. 
yeah, cool. it's, a, it's a good show. All right, let's get back to let's talk a little Grizzlies here before we get out sure. of here. Obviously, not a lot of news going on, but uh, Chris Harrington did a great mailbag over the past two days um, talking about questions from listeners. And one of the big questions that came up, I actually put this out here and and he responded to it is uh, who's going to start at the four? Um, as we know, Jaron Jackson Jr. has a broken bone in his foot, uh, had it repaired surgically about a month ago, appears to be um, on the mend and doing well. But Marv, he's not going to be ready to go on opening night, and he may right. miss as many as 20 games. So nice. who starts at the four? Who are you thinking um, as we get going into this season? Um, could start at the four. Obviously, we got Brandon Clark, Santi Aldama, maybe even Jake LaRavia with Dylan Brooks uh, switching down quote to the four, right? Like remember he guarded Carl Anthony towns in the wolf series. So he can guard bigger guys. Like where, what are you thinking, Marv? Well, I just think that uh, Santi's summer league redemption, I think probably means he, he wins it by a nose really, uh, or maybe more than a nose. Uh, I think it's a combination of, of him redeeming himself within summer league having a year of, of, of experience uh, and some real flashes last season, uh, coupled with the fact that, that Jake LaRavia, I think, underperformed a bit. Yeah. And then the other folks that, that, that could be in that spot, I think you can make the case are better coming off the bench um, uh, or, and or are like rookies in development. So um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's Santi. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, well, what does Santi Aldama give you that Brandon Clark doesn't give you? Um, the answer is three-point shooting. Um, and, I mean, Harrington talked about the fact that uh, Brandon Clark and Steven Adams played good minutes together. Not a ton of them, but they mm-hmm. but they were pretty good minutes. They, I think they were plus six in their minutes together um, last year. But Brandon Clark doesn't have a reliable outside shot. Santi Aldama does. I mean, he was profiled as a shooter coming out mm-hmm, of college. Mm-hmm. So he brings that. Um, obviously, Brandon Clark can protect the rim, but Santi Aldama blocked a lot of shots in summer league. I mean, he was really looking excellent as, yeah. a, rim, as a rim yeah. protector. Um, that's definitely not something you're going to get from Jake LaRavia. Um, and so, you know, as you mentioned, Jake LaRavia, uh, he underperformed a little bit, I think, coming out of summer league, didn't take many shots. Wasn't really sure if that was about his comfort level. He played Mm -hmm. defense better than I thought he would. We talked about that here on the pod, Uh, but I agree with you. I think that this is Santi Aldama's role to lose going into training camp. Mm -hmm. Now, if some of these other guys pop, you know, you've got um, obviously uh, David Roddy could probably play a little bit at the four. Well, you know, Uh, Vince Williams, I could see he's, he's a big, he's six, eight. He could play at the four. Obviously, fan favorite, junior, Kenny Lofton. He could play really well at the four. So mm-hmm. it, it, I think the Grizzlies are probably better positioned than they were a year ago to fill that gap. And this is one of the things that Harrington talked about was Kyle Anderson, even though he played best at the four for the Grizzlies, they slotted him, uh, slotted him in a lot at the three. And I think going into this year, the Grizzlies are probably better positioned to, to fill that role with some of different players rather than just relying on Kyle to fill that role. Um, yeah. Be- because Kyle shot as, as Harrington pointed out, really, it looked like he was having more shoulder soreness again last mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree with you. I think Santi's probably, uh, it's his role to lose. 
Yeah, and and we've got uh, we've just got more pieces that we need to figure out, and and we can't take our time. I think you know, uh, I, I think Santi's should be where we start, but it, that doesn't mean that I mean like summer league is its own thing, and it's also a fairly small sample size. Yeah. So we don't know that once we get into the rhythm of the season that Jake LaRavia is not going to find his rhythm, right? So um, uh, all sorts of things can happen. Whereas, um, That's you right. know, uh, like, like the, the people who've been on the roster, we have a bigger representative like sample size to, to look at. So we've got Santi's summer league redemption plus all the moments where he really shined. And sure, last season in his rookie season, we saw him both shine and then have his games where he wasn't so effective. That's okay. He's inconsistent. He's growing in consistency. Totally okay. 100%. I mean, and I could see a role for Jake LaRavia coming off the bench uh, hitting threes. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. not going to have to guard guys, right, that are going to be quite as difficult, um, you know, uh, doing that. And so... Yeah, I mean, I, I think Jake LaRavia will still have a role um, potentially coming off the bench, uh, but but it's hard to know based on his summer league performance, Marv, because it just yeah. there, there wasn't a lot there to evaluate. Yeah, and, and you know what? <laughs> this is the other thing that makes the summer so insufferable uh, and tantalizing is that we can have the thoughts, but we have to wait for the evidence to prove whether we're right or wrong. Whereas yeah. in the heat of the season, we'd be like, God, what do we, what, what do we, can we expect tonight? And then by the time we're doing the next podcast, like, well, that didn't pan out or well, who would have expected that? It's like the storylines we have, it's just, you know, we're constantly digesting them. Now we're having, to, we're, we're so desperate for basketball content. We're imagining what it might be hypothetically. Yeah. Yeah. 100% because that's where yeah. we are in the season, but speculation. So I think know? we agree. Santi Aldama's in the pole position here for the four. Yeah. Um, I think Jake, so. Jake LaRavia could potentially be a, you know, a good four coming off the bench. Yeah. Um, but Hey, don't sleep on, you know, David Roddy and Kenny Lofton jr. I mean, I just, boy, he looked good. I mean, his decision-making, you know, his quickness on defense, those are things yeah. Harrington pointed out I'll have to work on, but Hey, it's a lot easier to uh-huh. hide when you're coming off the bench. So he's also only 19 years old. So. Right. And Harrington also pointed out that he does have flaws in his game, but, but of course he yeah. does. He's 19. <laughs> he yeah. was an undrafted player. Do I think we drafted a diamond in the rough? I think we did. Time will tell. Yeah. Uh, I think there's more than enough. There's a lot that's great to work with, but that's yeah. the part. It is going to take work. Yeah. So, yeah, no, he's not going to be, he's not going to be Zebo in season one. No, you know, he's got a lot of work to do, but it's promising. Oh, yeah, it's exciting. We're thinking back to the podcast. We talked about Zebo potentially mentoring him. That could be amazing. I'd love to see it. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say opening night, starting lineup, John Morant, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Santi Aldama, Aquaman. Does that seem right to you? That seems right. Yes, absolutely. Sorry for the yawn. Yes, yes. And then rotation players, uh, Tyus Jones, Zaire Williams, John Conchar, Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman. Sounds like a pretty dynamite lineup. Yeah. I mean, we'll have to see, you know, what Tillman can do. And then obviously when you bring uh, Jaron back, you know, you tighten up that a little bit. I think Tillman might be the odd player out. I could see Xavier Tillman, you know, getting rotated out. He's also like best friends with Jaron. So hard to know exactly what's going to happen. Last thing, Mark, before we get out of here, um, let's talk a little bit about the playing style. I thought Harrington made a great point um, in his column talking about with DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson gone, 
both of them contributed a ton to the transition game. So do you think the Grizzlies are going to play differently next year, Marv? Um, And if so, how's that going to play out? Do you think that they made calculations based on improving their half court offense, for example, by pulling out uh, D'Anthony Melton and Kyle Anderson? I mean, those guys were not necessarily dynamic players in the half court. So what are you thinking? I would, I feel like in in the both, well, first of all, the likelihood that those players had to go had a lot to do with, you know, their free agency status. Uh, um, So I think, you know, there, there are those variables and then the draft variables are really no going in, knowing the type of player you like to draft and then being uh, acting opportunistically. So I think that the, the time now with it, it, it was especially summer league, summer league is where they really get a, a first glimpse of what they got. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the season will just be more of, the, of that fine tuning. And I think it'll become increasingly clear uh, how well we did in the draft uh, and how big a leap uh, certain players made for their time quote in the dark Yeah. Uh, in the off season. How many of them got into the gym reliably? Um, yep. how big of an improvements did they make, uh, with just, you know, how much, who knows what their conditioning is, but you all know that they had goals over the summer. Oh yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm not so much, well, yes. Uh, our style of play probably will change a, a bit. Do I think it will change at the DNA level, our desire to run? No. Uh, yeah, but yeah. so, uh, and I think that, you know, transition offense is, um, yeah, I, I I don't expect to see the Grizzlies style of play change, you know, dramatically, uh, but but it, it, it will change based on the personnel. And we'll just have to take I know it's a cop out to say we'll have to wait and see how those different players, you know, tendencies and idiosyncrasies play out and what kind of a chemistry evolves. But yeah. one thing that I am confident in is, again, the culture and the camaraderie that is the kind of cauldron within which that chemistry is brewed, so to speak. Yeah, uh, that is a very good recipe, a very sturdy cauldron, yes, uh, and, and a very capable uh, set of chefs in the front office and in the coaching yeah. staff. So uh, I have confidence that we're going to uh, boil up a heck of a pot of uh, results, <laughs> basketball yes. results. Well, I think the Grizzlies <laughs> will play a little differently. Uh, they were... Harrington had this in the column fourth or sixth overall in offense last year, Uh 26th in half court offense. They led the league obviously in um, fast break offense. So I think the Grizzlies will play differently. I do think that they want to focus more on having effectiveness in the half court. I think Zaire Williams is going to be a part of that. I think you're going to see more shots going up from Desmond Bain. Um, And I think they want more players who are younger on low cost contracts to surround John Morant uh, and ja, and and Jaron Jackson Jr., who can shoot the ball. So I think they're really hoping that David Roddy's shot will translate, that Jake LaRavia's shot's going to translate, Vince Williams is a shooter. Um, obviously, we saw Junior could shoot the ball as well. Mm-hmm. I think they wanted to improve, even with Danny Green. I mean, obviously, yeah. he's a great career three-point shooter. He's won championships with three different teams. So I think that the Grizzlies do want to emphasize better shooting in the half court. I also think David Roddy, all these guys, LaRavia, they can cut. And you need good cutting, and you've got a great hub, as we talked about before with Steven yeah. Adams. 
So yeah. I think that there was an effort to improve the half court offense. I think the Grizzlies felt that That's if they right, yeah. if they had better half court offense, they may even have been able to pull out you know that series over Golden State with with Ja out. Because when you get into the playoffs, the game slows down. We all know that, and you rely on John Morant slashing, cutting, and getting to the rim, and then he's gone. What are you going to do? So mm-hmm. I think the Grizzlies will play differently this year. Um, I think it may mean that they're going to win fewer uh, regular season games. That's my prediction. I don't think they're going to win 56 games this year, um, but I think they're still going to be excellent. And I think they will be more durable in, in playoff basketball. Mm. It really felt a little bit last year, like the Grizzlies were sort of going by the seat of their pants um, in the Minnesota series and, and in the, um, the, the golden state series in terms of trying to figure out how to be effective offensively. I see what you're saying. And honestly, a little bit of that seat of your pants, uh, uh, way that the season played out was contributed to to it being exciting (laughs) because like, again, it was the whole, we're in uncharted territory. We arrived early. Everybody made a leap. The team made a collective leap. Like the unexpected nature of the season was exciting. So, uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't look at that with, you know, kind of really sober eyes of judgment and with a little bit of objectivity and say, yeah, that that especially with playoff basketball being more half court oriented uh, and see. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally see that. So if you could, could control for that and, and build toward that, you'd want to. Um, whereas, yeah, last year, see, I wouldn't replace last season for anything that was one of the most incredible basketball seasons to be a, a fan of and, and to kind of like ride shotgun with it, especially, you know, with it, with the podcast. You know, with Absolutely. You. Um, but uh but yeah, if you're going to course correct or continue, not course correct, fine tune, uh, I think is, is more the word. Uh, then no, I think I, that's, I hadn't thought of that, but I think your analysis is pretty spot on. Yeah. Well, hey, obviously we're going to have to wait and see, um, but I do think the Grizzlies will play differently this year. I think it's going to make them more effective in the postseason, but I think that may sacrifice a couple of uh, regular season games. Marv, we got to get out of here. We stayed longer yeah. than we thought. It was fun though. I know you just just like huddle around these mics. You don't want to let it go. It's like <laughs> it's it, it, it being on the podcast is itself a tethering to Grizzlies basketball. So that's it. Not well, surprising, every, really. Not surprising, y'all. Well, thanks for joining us today. Stay tuned. We have got some exciting guests coming up for the core four Grizzlies oral history. You won't want to miss that. We will hopefully have some of those episodes published here in the next couple of weeks. Mark, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Many thanks. Always, always good to be here. All right, y'all, go Grizzlies, and uh, we will see you next time.